Hello, listeners. Ross Chevalier here. In this episode, I want to talk about autofocus and focus points. Let's start with a positive. Autofocus is awesome. It can save time. It can save effort. And sometimes even save the shot. If it didn't work out as well as it does, no one would care. And makers wouldn't throw so much into it. As a consequence, there's always some confusion around autofocus and what it can and cannot do. To cover this, let's get started with some core requirements. Number one, autofocus needs contrast. Now, whether your manufacturer calls your autofocus system contrast detect or phase detect or hybrid, it's pretty much all contrast based, guys. The root of the problem is the need for contrast, no matter what name you give the thing. No contrast, no focus. Low contrast, slow. And possibly inaccurate focus. Autofocus also needs light. All the camera manuals document the minimum light level in mostly unintuitive EV or exposure value scale. The smaller or more negative the number, the less light required for the AF system to function. Now, when I say function, I don't mean best function. It's not optimal. It's more the difference between whether it works at all or whether it works a little bit. So, the brighter the light where the focus point is, the greater your odds of getting good focus. Now, let's really quickly, quickly, quickly talk about those EV values. EV zero which was pretty common five years ago, is dim. EV minus one, that's a stop darker. EV minus two, a stop darker than minus one. And we even see autofocus systems that can now see down to EV minus three. That's pretty dark, but guess what comes with that? That's right, my friends, a really high price. So if the light's crap, consider supplementing the light if you want the autofocus to work. Oh, and by the way, we're not even going to talk about manual focus because manually focusing on any cameras today is an exercise in how to build a better migraine. So let's go back to the whole autofocus concept. Let's talk quickly about focus points. There are basically a couple of kinds of focus points, the normal kind or what makers want to call the cross type. Simplified, a cross-type point can detect contrast changes in either the horizontal or vertical directions within that focus point. A normal focus point only sees contrast change in a single direction, and typically that's on the vertical axis. Remember that point I made earlier about contrast being a necessity? Right. Thus, cross-type points are going to do a better job, but they tend to be clustered towards the center of the focus point grid, and I'm not aware, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but I'm not aware of any camera where all the focus points are cross-type. Ah, uh, yeah. Let's talk about that focus point grid. Back in the day, if you had nine focus points, that seemed amazing. But now we see cameras with hundreds of focus points. Does this matter? Well, as is typical in photography, the answer is really, it depends. The closer to the edges of your screen your focus point grid goes, the more options that you have in the selection of which focus point or points to use. But remember, 
the camera is rendering a two-dimensional output. So the camera can only focus on one distance at a time, regardless of the number of focus points. If your camera, for example, lights up three focus points when you point it at the subject and press down part one on the button, or it lights up 300, all that tells you is the number of focus points that are seeing contrast at the same distance. This doesn't mean you're getting better focus. It just means more points see the same distance. And if you've got a number of points selected, and some of those points don't fall on your subject of choice, it's possible that the camera may choose to lock in on a focus point that it sees as being in focus, because it's active, and the camera doesn't know what your preferred subject is, and you may get a beautifully focused shot of something you didn't want. Why does this happen? Because in general, camera algorithms prefer the brightest, closest, and most contrasty thing. Which is great most of the time. But what if that's not where you want the focus to go? At that point, you're going to have to take control of the camera. You're going to have to be in charge of the focus. So can you choose which focus point the camera should use? Well, you can do what most pros do. Use one focus point, maybe a five or a nine point grid. And even then, only if they're going to fall on the subject or are in super close proximity to the subject. If the subject is smaller than a single focus point, using a grid may result in something you don't want. Another time that you might choose to use a grid is if you've got a moving subject, you're in continuous focus, and there's nothing brighter or closer that the points can latch onto. If that sounds like a lot of cautions and caveats about using multiple points, you'd be right. Wait, what? Did I scam myself by buying a camera with 325 focus points over a similar camera that only had 61? It depends. If you're not going to use all those focus points, then you may have paid for something you didn't need. And when I say use them, I don't mean put, turning them all on at the same time. That's not using them. That's just hope. And hope's not a strategy for a solid photograph. A common process used by professionals for autofocus is called FLRS, or I pronounce it floors. Focus, lock, recompose, shoot. It's really easy to do. And I'll tell you, it's even easier if you activate a dedicated button to turn focus on and you remember to decouple autofocus on from the shutter release entirely. For those of you who've heard the term back button focus, this is in fact what we're talking about. You're going to be programming a button, it may already pre-exist, to turn focus on, and that's the only thing it does. But if you use that and you don't decouple the shutter release focus on function, you're actually going to cause issues for yourself because when you press the shutter, it's going to cause a refocus event, even if you've got that back button held down. So for back button focus to work properly, you've got to decouple focus on from the shutter release. And your manual will tell you how to do that. You're going to see some articles that suggest that floors doesn't work. If the sensor to subject distance changes when you recompose, this is factually true, but it's also a question of it depends because it's 
most likely to be true when you are physically very close to the subject and the change of angle to the subject changes the sensor to subject distance beyond the range of the depth of field relative to your focus distance and the focal length of the lens you're using. In tens of thousands of images that I've made, this possibility has yet to bite me. I have found other ways to miss the shot, but this isn't one of them. Floors does require some basic understanding of how depth of field works, but a basic understanding of depth of field is requirement for any vaguely serious photography, not just use of the floors system. I use it. Most pros I know use it. You might consider giving it a shot. Now, floors isn't going to help you if your camera is locked in place, such as on a tripod, where moving the camera would mess up your composition. At that point, selecting an alternate focus point from your grid makes a lot of sense. You should, of course, do what you want. It's your camera. You're the photographer. But this, for me, is the only time I ever use a focus point other than the center one. And on that subject, what if you cannot lock focus and recompose? Let's use the example of photographing a moving subject where the distance from you to the subject is varying. Back off the zoom a little bit and leave yourself some space in the frame for recomposing in post. Our cameras have enormously wonderful resolution. If you're reasonably close and you give yourself a little extra space for recomposition in your post, called cropping, you're far and away better off. It's simple and it's easy. Now, since we're on the subject of moving subjects, subject of moving subjects, okay, let's talk about continuous focus. This is needed when the subject to sensor distance is changing. If the camera to subject distance is static, I don't really need continuous focus because the focus isn't changing. The idea of continuous to focus is to keep your focus point or points on the subject holding down that focus button while you follow the subject. So when you squeeze the shutter, that focus was already locked and the cap camera is going to capture the image immediately, no delay. Unfortunately, this takes a bit of practice because the cheap answer of using more focus points is more likely that the camera will pick a non-optimal point. So again, you're going to have to learn how to track and follow your images when you're tracking a moving subject makes sense. Also remember that continuous means continuous. The focus is always changing as the camera continuously hunts for the best focus. So it is quite possible that you could have the right focus point locked properly on the target and you hold that through the shutter squeeze and you still get a soft image. That's because the focus was hunting at the time the image was captured. It's a rare thing, but it's happened. So don't freak out. You don't have a defective camera or defective lens. A quick way around this, put your camera in high-speed burst mode when you're dealing with moving subjects, but don't hold the thing down as if you're some crazy person in a movie dumping an entire magazine with a single trigger pull. Use high-speed burst, but three or five frames at a time. This is going to deal with any issues around focus point hunting and continuous focus mode. Different makers take different approaches to using multiple focus points for dealing with moving subjects. 
Nikon, for example, has something called 3D tracking. It's not in every camera, but it's in most of them. It tries to predict which point will be right if the subject moves out of the active focus point. Some folks swear by this. I've shot a lot of Nikon cameras. It's never worked well for me. So your mileage may vary. Canon uses a system called CASE. And what CASEs are are a set of choices for how you choose how focus points are going to behave based on things moving in front between you and the subject and how the subject moves. And there's pretty decent documentation on what the different cases do. I will say that a lot of people using case system do not read what the cases are, but that's a personal decision. For me, the case system works a charm. Other folks find it very confusing. Now, I admit, I've skipped over the mode entirely where the camera decides whether the subject is fixed or moving and then chooses the focus mode on its own. I suppose this is fine for fully automatic shooting, no thinking involved imaging. But it's a crapshoot, so at least make the decision yourself between single shot or continuous focus when you are making photographs with intent. I can't ignore the concept of microfocus adjustment because it's frequently talked about on the internet and often is wrong. If your camera does MFA, and that's an if, you're going to need some mechanism to check the accuracy of the focus. Now, you can buy a bunch of stuff to help you with this. Cards, slant boards, you know, internet tick tips, tricks using a yardstick. Yuck. So even if your camera does MFA, a lot of cameras that do microfocus adjustment only do it at a single focal length. And that's pretty much useless when the average lens in use by people is a zoom. Now, there are cameras that do MFA that will also allow you to set the widest focal length and the narrowest focal length and then manipulate accordingly. Here's the trick, though. If you're judging MFA by eye, forget it. You can certainly buy computer software to do this, and it's a service that I've offered for several years for those who want to pay for it. I have to tell you, though, learning to hold the camera properly, not lying to yourself about your ability to handhold at slower shutter speeds, learning how to use image stabilization and knowing when it actually does anything as opposed to when it's not helping at all. And then most importantly, choosing depth of field appropriately for the work that you're shooting is going to help you improve your work much more consistently. Hopefully this episode helped you out and I thank you for listening. Do you have an idea for an article, tutorial, video, or podcast? Do you have an imaging question unrelated to this particular episode? Send me an email directly at ross at thephotovideoguy.ca, or you could post in the comments. If you email a question on any imaging topic, I try to respond within a day. If you shop online and you buy through B&H Photo Video, please consider doing so through the link on thephotovideoguy.ca. It helps support my efforts and has no negative impact whatsoever on your shopping experience. 
If you find the podcast, videos that I do, or articles I write of value, please consider clicking the donation tab in the sidebar of the website and buy me a coffee. Your donation goes directly to helping me keep things going here. Again, I'm Ross Chevalier. Thanks for reading, watching, and listening. And until next time, peace. Thank you.